Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, great to be with you this morning. I don't know if you're like me, but last night I was all set, sat down, turned on the game, you know, as an Iowa fan, I was ready to go. I made a discovery last night. I realized there's a lot of other games on at the same time. <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway, that was a hard one. Sorry. It's great to be with you. Thank you for coming out. Um, you know, it's just a great day uh, today, and uh, I'm always glad to be here, and, and I'm glad that you're here as well. I want to say just a quick word about this series, Allowed to Journey. I think uh, it's really grown out of a value that we have, and that, that value is this, that everyone is welcome. You know, whether you're on the curious side or, or you're on the committed side, you know, whatever, wherever you are, you are welcome to come here. And so we're all at these different points in different places on this spiritual journey, and uh, we want to honor that. I will say from, from our side, from the church, our mission is really to point you or kind of point you in a direction towards a person, and that person is Jesus. And we want to help you take next steps towards that person. And so that's really what we are called to do. And, uh, you know, so as we go on this journey, one of the things that we say is that we don't want you to go alone, right? We need friends. We need friends on the journey. And so that's really what I want to talk about this morning. We need the kinds of friends that will help us on the journey. In fact, the kinds of friends that we have in our life uh, really is significant. In fact, I ran into this quote by a popular teacher, author, Andy Stanley, and he made a pretty provocative statement about friendship, and this is what he says. He said, your friends will determine the quality and the direction of your life. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Well, as a matter of fact, the Bible kind of backs that up. In fact, I did a, a quick study on the book of Proverbs. If you do a study on friendship or friends, particularly in the book of Proverbs, you will come up with all kinds of different verses. But one of the verses there, it says this in Proverbs 18, verse 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Wow. So whether you've been on this journey, this spiritual journey towards Jesus for 30 minutes or 30 days or 30 years, we need next-level friends to kind of help us. Sometimes we call them spiritual companions or mentors or accountability partners. Today, I'm going to use the term guide. We need guides who will help us become all that we, God created us to become. In particular, I want to focus on how can we be the kinds of friends that actually help our friends on that spiritual journey? How can we become those spiritual guides? In fact, that's our mission. I love Brenna mentioned that, and that that was the focus of their, their seminar yesterday or their conference yesterday. How can we help people journey? How can we help people encounter and then follow Jesus and be on mission for Jesus in this broken world? That's really our journey. In fact, our, our mission is to pass the torch to that next generation. So what does it look like to be that kind of a, a guide or a spiritual friend who can help others? So I want us to look at a couple different passages of Scripture. The first is 2 Timothy, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 2. And just the context of this book is that Paul is actually in prison. 
and he's writing to his apprentice, young Timothy, the next generation. <laughs> he's saying, Timothy, look, I need, I need you to know something. I need you to be the kind of person who can, can invest in that next generation. In fact, he says it this way. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. It's interesting, isn't it? In fact, in chapter 1 of this, of this little letter that Paul writes to, to Timothy, he starts out by celebrating the fact that, hey, Timothy, I saw this faith in your grandmother. And I saw it in your mother. And now I believe that this faith lives in you. And so what does he say? He said, don't be timid. Don't be shy. Fan into flame this gift of God, this gift of faith. People have invested in you, Timothy. Now it's your turn to invest in others. In fact, that's really what Paul is saying. You know, people invested in me. I'm now investing in you. And Timothy, what I want you to do is go and invest in others. Be the kind of friend who can help them on their spiritual journey. Be their guide. So what does it look like? I want to talk about some characteristics of what those spiritual guides look like. And one of those things I think that Paul says to Timothy, he begins with this simple idea. We need to be growing disciples ourselves. If we are to be spiritual guides for others, can we be growing disciples ourselves? In fact, he says this, you then, my son, be strong, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Well, he encourages them to be confident, be courageous, be assured, be rooted and grounded in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. People have invested in you. Now you, be strong in this faith journey. Continue in this journey. You know, the crazy thing is that Jesus did something similar to his own disciples and to us. In Matthew chapter 28, I want to read some verses there. Now the interesting thing is this. Most of us know verses 18 through 20. We know that as the Great Commission... But we sometimes pass over these first couple of verses. So I want to read them. It says in Matthew 28, verse 16, this is after the resurrection, Jesus is making appearances, hanging out as a resurrected Lord with his disciples, and he's about to, to ascend back into heaven. And then he says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. He told them to go up to the mountain. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That's a fascinating thing, isn't it? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, some of us know that Second half of that, right? We're to go and make disciples and, and, you know, that whole thing. But I think we sometimes forget the first part. Before Jesus sends them out to do something, he invites them to a place to be with him. 
He invites them up to the mountain. He said, I want you to come be with me. And then I'm going to send you to do something. In fact, throughout the New Testament, and in fact, throughout the whole of Scripture, there's these two sort of grand invitations. The one is to come, come to Jesus, to be with him, and then to go. And it's so fascinating. Yes, they went up the mountain. What did they do? They worshiped. And then it says, some doubted. And I kind of wonder about that. What was going on? Were they doubting who he was? Or were they doubting the fact that they could do what he was asking them to do? Maybe some of you even came in this morning with this idea, well, you know, Brian, how can I be a spiritual guide for someone else? I barely get this. The funny thing is, Jesus commissioned them all, even the ones who had doubts. He didn't say, well, you've got to figure it out. Okay, you're good. No, he said all of them, they were commissioned. We're all to go. He commissioned them. But he first invited them to come to him. So what does a growing disciple look like, friends? If we are to be a spiritual guide for others, what does a growing disciple look like? Well, this is how I say it. Am I creating time and space in my life to be with Jesus? Am I willing to go up the mountain, kind of be with him? Am I opening this up? Am I learning how to to listen and to hear and to respond and to keep company with him, to have this sort of conversational relationship with him? The truth of the matter, you know, another thing that I've been saying a lot lately is you've got to fight for this. You've got to create elbow room in your life. You know, it's like... I played basketball, you know, you're, you're fighting for a rebound. <laughs> you create some room, some space. How are you creating space in your schedule, friends? We're so busy, aren't we? We've got so many things to do. A growing disciple, though, I will say this, creates some time and space in their life to be with Jesus. Be strong, Timothy. Be strong in the grace of that God has given you. Jesus said, go to the mountain. You want to be a guide for others? Just create a little bit of space for Jesus to work in you. That's the first thing, the first characteristic. Here's the other, another characteristic, I think, of, of those who are willing to be spiritual friends or guides for others. They develop a people focus. They develop a people focus. In fact, Paul said to Timothy, entrust to reliable folks, friends. I love what the Gospel of John says about Jesus in John chapter 1. This is what the message says. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He came to be one of us. Jesus came to be with, with us and he was immersed in a network of relationships. He loved hanging out with people. Shocking. He actually liked us. 
In fact, I don't think we can overlook the most obvious element of his ministry on earth. It was personal relationships. It was life on life. It was doing life together. In fact, you have two sets of brothers, Andrew and Peter, James and John. Where did he go? He went to where they were working, at the, at the docks, where their boats were. They were fishing. And what did he say? Hey, come and be with me. Come, follow me. He went to a tax collector named Matthew. What did Matthew do? Matthew hosted a party. He said, great, I'm coming to your house. Let's party. And he did. Jesus and his fellow sinners gathered together. He went to a Zacchaeus in a tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. I want to be with you. He met a Samaritan woman at a well. He went to a paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda. He noticed a woman who touched his garment in a crowd. Jesus saw people, and he particularized people. And he wasn't afraid to go to them. And he initiated relationships with them. He invested in them. He befriended them. I don't think you have to be an extrovert, okay, to be a guide. But can we pay attention to the people around us? And are we willing to initiate a relationship? Who do you want to get to know? The truth of the matter, I'm guessing, if I were to ask you, especially for those of us who've been journeying with Jesus for a while, if I were to ask you, how did you come to faith? I would say the vast majority of us would be able to name a person or persons that helped us along the way. In fact, Gary McIntosh, who studies the church extensively, he's written a book called Growing God's Church Today, How People Are Actually Coming to Faith. You know what he says? Through his, his research, 60% come through a family member or a close friend. A family member. A close friend. You know, that number 40, 50 years ago was actually a lot higher. It was 80 to 90%. What he thinks, he believes, is that our mobility has changed some of that. And so what does he say? The next highest is about 20% actually come through a significant friend playing a role at church. And guess what? None of those roles are pastor. It's crazy. It's people like secretaries and interns and small group leaders and youth group leaders and Sunday school leaders and all of these kinds of people who are playing a role at church, using their gifts, spending time, sharing about Jesus. You know, in my life, I've had lots of different people invest in me, lots of different spiritual guides. But there's one person who uh, really stood out to me as I was thinking about this, this message. His name is Gary Bauer, okay? You wouldn't probably know him. However, um, how do I describe Gary? Well, this is how I've described him. He's kind of like a fly in September, okay? He should be dead. <laughs> but it just kind of clingy and slow, right? They're just super annoying. I hate flies in September. I hate flies most of the time, but they're really bad, right? Well, Giselle and I had graduated from college. We started, I'm starting graduate school. Uh, Giselle's getting her first, her first job teaching, and we moved to New Jersey to do this. 
You know, and there's this phrase out of The Wizard of Oz, you know, Dorothy says, we aren't in Kansas anymore. I felt that. I mean, we were just in, fish out of water. We, we were trying to figure it out. It was so culturally different. Uh, you know, we're trying to make our way. And, and at my door one day, this guy, he comes, he knocks on the door. He says, hi, I'm Gary. Okay. What do you want? What are you doing at my house? I just wanted to introduce myself. Nice. Bang. I just wanted to slam the door. I, I had no idea this guy was just kind of creeping me out. And the crazy thing is he, he kept showing up. I couldn't get rid of him. He just would show up. Hey, how are you doing today? Well, really good. And then all of a sudden, you know, something shifted. I don't know what happened. I found myself helping him lead a Bible study on Rutgers University campus with some college kids. I'm like, how did I get here? And then all of a sudden, my wife and I, we're in a couple's Bible study with some of the most amazing people I've ever met. It was crazy. And it rescued us. Rescued our time there. And it was like, that was God's gift. This crazy Gary who just loved people, inviting us into his life. You know what guides also do? This is what they do really well. They hear others' story. They have a genuine curiosity for the other. In fact, maybe the question is, can I step outside my own self and my own interests to hear from the people around me? I think there's three skills, probably a lot more, but three really important skills that if we're going to hear other stories, we need to work at, friends. And one of them is listening. You know, listening is a skill. You know, most of the time, I'm, I'm listening and usually I'm thinking about my own response before I'm actually listening to what they're saying, right? So I came up with a little acronym, a little tool for me to remember. It's WAIT. You know what WAIT stands for? Why am I talking? <laughs> I need to be quiet. I need to stop. Just respond in the moment. Listen. Listen well. You know, how can I have good listening skills? Can I come alongside the other to discover what makes them tick? Where is God at work? Can I ask good questions? That's another skill. You know, some of the best people that I know, the people that I like hanging around with, you know what they do for me? I, 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 it kind of dawned on me. They ask really good questions. It's not about them. They, they're truly interested in me. In fact, I, I know we use this question, how are you? We use it like a greeting, don't we? Hey, how are you doing? And we just kind of move on. Maybe, maybe if we're going to develop this skill, we actually take the time to find out. No, I really want to know, how are you? How are you? Or maybe we ask things like, hey, what's going on in your life? What's a current challenge in your life? Or what causes you to lose sleep right now? 
Or what's your favorite way to spend a day off? I really want to know. Wow. What's the best vacation you've ever been on? Why? And why? What makes you tick? Can I ask good questions? Can I seek to know the other? Then another skill I think that we need to develop if we're going to be these spiritual guides who hear other people's story, we need to pray for them. And prayer is a skill, friends. You know, as I was thinking about prayer, I was thinking, you know, most of the time, my two greatest motivations for prayer are help, right? I was praying coming in to today and, you know, from Grundy Center, I was like, oh God, help. <laughs> I got to make a little presentation today, you know, or help me with this test or help me, you know, get through this next little bit, you know, because it's crazy and or whatever, help. It's all about me, right? It's my self-worth, my self-promotion, me, help me, God. I'm really good. I'm really motivated to pray when I'm thinking about me. I'm also really motivated to pray when I'm afraid. Like, I'm not sure about the future. I've got this health concern or, or my kids or whatever it is. I'm, I'm super motivated to pray when I'm afraid. But it seems to me if we're going to hear others and be a guide for others, this is the one time I can be actually be motivated out of love. Dear Jesus, this is my friend. I care for them. Or this is my son or daughter or this is my neighbor. You know, I had a friend and a mentor, a spiritual guide, if you will, who would often pray for me. And man, he would pray in ways I was like, I said, dude, you, when you pray, it's like you're seeing my soul. And he's, I said, could you tell me, teach me? He said, you know, I once read that psychologists say that we have these basic needs, or he called them thirsts. And th there's five basic needs. We have a, a need for security. We have a, a need for love and acceptance, a need for recognition, a need for new experiences, and a need for freedom from guilt. Now, you're not going to remember all that, right? But he said, those are powerful motivations in people's lives. And so I started paying attention. What is my friend uh, motivated by? What does he need? And then I remembered this verse from John Chapter 7, verse 38, where Jesus said this. He said, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Wow. Do you hear what he's saying? Whatever thirst I have, whatever thirst my friend has, Jesus can actually quench that thirst. Whatever it is that longing, that desire? Am I learning how to pray for people like that? Hmm. You know, another thing I think guides do well over time is they learn to share their story. To share their story. 
Paul, who was a guide to many, uh, shares his story in the book of Acts, one place in, uh, in particular, towards the end of Acts. He's actually on trial, and he's speaking to a group of Gentiles and Jews and fellow Christians. And rather than sort of defend himself, he just tells his story. And this is what he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. You know what Paul is doing? He's saying, I was here, and God took me to another place. That's his story. Now, most of our stories aren't quite as dramatic as that. Let's just say that, right? But we all have stories to tell, and we don't need to be salespeople for Jesus. It's just more important for us to bear witness. What has God done? Where is he taking you from? Is he taking you from here, and now he's moving you to here? That's a story. Don't be afraid to share it. You're the only one who will. You're the only one who has your story. No one else can share it for you. Here's the other thing. The thing is, we don't just worship a crucified Savior. We serve a risen Lord. And so here's the deal with that. He's still active. He's still speaking. He's still engaging. And so I know that he is active and engaging in you and in me. And we need to be telling those stories too. Where is God at work in your life right now? Not just back then, but right now. What are you learning? In fact, I had this uh, a crazy experience just a few days ago. Um, long story, but a cousin of mine, we've kind of reconnected. He lives in San Francisco. His name is Adam. And about once a month, we get on Zoom together and we just... We connect with each other. It's like he, we've become spiritual guides for each other. It's, it's great. It's amazing. And I would say at the end of our time, he'd say, hey, how can I pray for you? And he was asking me, how can I pray for you? And that morning, I remember we were, I was in my office, and I was thinking about my daughter. That girl, she keeps me humble, right? So she's on a solo hike in Olympic National Park, about a 40-mile hike, by herself, did I say that? The solo hike, and uh, for a whole week, I, I literally did, had no connection. She was off the grid, right? So this dad was getting a little concerned. And that morning, I remember praying. I said, God, it would so be nice just to hear from Lydia. And I'm speaking those words to Adam. And as I'm speaking those words, I get a text. Hey, Dad, it's Lydia. I'm okay. 
I'm on my way home. Wow. That was such a gift. It was truly God answering a prayer right in that moment. It was powerful. We need to tell those stories to each other because it's so encouraging. It's so good. Tell your stories. Here's the other thing I would say. I just want to leave this. We also share God's story. And God's story is different than my story. You know, sometimes we, we kind of approach it in such a way with, you know, how God sort of wiggled into my life and, you know, makes it part of my story. No, 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 no. That's not how God works, friends. See, God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. God is that overarching story to all of our stories. It's my story that sort of fits, this little tiny little story fits into his story. And we need to know that story, friends. And we need to share it, and we need to share it well with people. We are the guardians of that story. We, his people. We are the voice piece, the ambassadors of that story. And that story is powerful and great. It begins with this loving creator God who who made all things. He made us. And yet we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each to our own way. It's right there in Genesis 3. It's like, yeah, shove off, God. I'm going to live life my own way. I do that too. And most of the Bible story is about this sort of interplay between this initiating God, this creator-loving God who wants to have a relationship with his people, and his people sort of saying, ah, we're going to go a different way. We're going to live life without God. Or, no, they respond in faith and trust, and it's like this constant battle back and forth. And then God says, you know what? I'm going to send my son, a rescuer, a savior, because the wages of our sin really is death. And so he says, like, I'm going to pay your penalty. I'm going to pay up your debt. I'm going to take care of that. And so Jesus did. He died. But he became a resurrected Lord, too. He's not just redeeming us. He's redeeming all of creation. And there's going to come a day when every knee on heaven and on earth and under the earth will say, Jesus is Lord. I want to be a part of that story. I want my life to be a part of that story. We need to share that story. Danielle Schmidt, who is our student um, ministries kind of coordinator, director in Grundy Center, shared this story just a couple weeks ago at their high school kickoff. A young man came and um, he said, you know, Danielle, I just, I just really get this and Danielle was like, oh, well, they were doing silent disco, okay? So they were doing silent disco. I don't know what that is. It looked kind of crazy. It looked like they had a good time. But, you know, usually you got to have music. Well, they had headphones. And she said, well, this is what you need to do for that. You know, just jump in. No, 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 no. I don't get this. I don't get this friends first thing. And I said, oh, well, you know, we meet on Wednesdays, and this is what we're going to do. And 
and here we're going to gather in groups and, and tell stories and care for, you know, all these things. And he's like, no, no, I guess somebody gave me a Bible. I don't get this. I don't get this. That's what mean, being a guide. We share our story, but we share God's story. We share it often, and we share it well. And we share it in love. And we invite people to the journey. So let me ask you, who is God using to guide you in your faith journey? The second question is, who are the people in your life that God might be nudging you to influence, to be a guide, to pray for, to listen to, to get to befriend and know? We're on a journey together. Maybe we can be those kinds of friends for others. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that there are people that you have used in my life and in many people's lives here in this room to help us to understand who you are. God, I would pray that all of us would take one more step closer to you, towards you. Maybe we know a little bit more of who you are and what you want to do. God, would you help us to trust you and to go with you and to bring some friends along with us? Lord, I think the world is desperate to know who you are and to see you in your people in a way that would not bring attention to themselves, to us, but to you. Can we be those kinds of people, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.